Let's take our Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 12. And I think uh, Brother John is going to dismiss the teens. They're going to go up to here. Uh, their particular brand of heresy up in the teen room. And tonight we've got our own brand of heresy. I can tell you that. Who needs a handout if you don't have a handout? If you'd like to have one, would you raise your hand? And we've got folks coming around that can help you. Anybody at all? Anyone have a handout that does not want one? Raise your hand. Anybody would like to get rid of your handout? All right. Revelation chapter 12. We've been looking here, and and honestly, we're, we're bogging down uh, a little bit. We're slowing down, maybe I should say, because uh, we are not trying to just get through it. We're trying to get some things that perhaps we haven't seen before that could be a help and to spur your imagination biblically and help you to think through things. I can tell you this. I've seen, I've read through the Bible multiple times and I'm continually seeing things that I had never seen or put together. But what's great about it is that the phrases, as you go through, those phrases are getting in there. The more that you read, the words and phrases of the Bible are, are, are kind of catching hold of your brain and as the rest of it flows through. And you may not think you're getting anything out of it, but you won't be, I'll tell you this, you won't be able to get as much out of the Bible in five years if you're not reading through the boring parts today and, and reading when you don't feel like it. Because all, every time you go through it, little tiny pieces of scripture are sticking in your brain. And then in five years, you're going to be thankful for that investment because you're going to end up being able to say, oh, that's where that came from. That's what that means. I saw several things today I had never seen before. And uh, the Bible's alive, but you have to read it. It does not pick it up, pick you up, and make you read it. Let's look at Revelation chapter 12. Uh, it says uh, in verse number, well, you know what? I don't know what. Let's, go, let's do our review first. Let's do our review. First, we see a great wonder in heaven. That was in chapters, uh, verses 1 to 6. Uh, We have the characters that we've identified multiple times. The woman is Israel, the great red dragon is Satan, and the child is the Lord Jesus Christ. Context is a time and times and half a time, or a thousand two hundred and threescore days. We're talking about the midway point of the tribulation. Now, let's talk about the great war in heaven. A little background before we read verses 7 to 9. Let's read 3 and 4. 12, 3 and 4. You ready? And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, we've read all of that, but notice what the, what the uh, red dragon was doing there in verse 4. Now, let's read verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And we'll leave off reading there. Let's take a quiz or a multiple choice test. Are you ready? Here it is. Here's the question. According to the Bible, Satan spends most of his time, A, with the devils in hell, 
B, with God in heaven, or C, with people on the earth? What do you think? The answer is B. We're going to see that here in Revelation chapter 12. He spends most of his time with God in heaven. The devil would love for us to think that he's in hell right now. He's suffering the torments of the damned and that he is in the brimstone and, and all the pain and suffering. But the fact is, he has not spent any time in hell as of today. The devil has not been in hell. And the Bible tells us that one day he will be cast down to the sides of the pit, but only for a short time. And then he will be thrown into the bottomless pit. He will be thrown into the lake of fire. And so it's very, it's, it's very interesting, that the misconceptions that we have about the Bible. It's very important that we read the Bible for what it actually says, not what people have told us that it has said. And uh, I don't know about you, I've, I've heard a lot of things over the years. Things are stuck in my head. Um, but what happens, it's either, through, it's either through the man misinterpreting the Scripture, the devil deceiving people, or um, accident, people thinking that they know what it is and saying something that they're not really sure of, or a combination of any of those. Uh, we have to be very careful with it. A lot of the confusion about what we just read in Revelation chapter 12 is the result of a poem that was written by a guy, a guy named John Milton back in 1667, a poem called Paradise Lost. And uh, it's a beautiful poem. If you read uh, anything from the 1600s, you'll find that it, it, it certainly is different from Shakespeare, for instance, is different. Uh, George, uh, George Herbert, beautiful poet, beautiful stuff. Very earthy, very down-to-earth, down common, almost blue-collar type of, of, of ease with words. Um, and, the, and the King James Bible is not exactly the same way. It's not written from a blue-collar standpoint. It was written uh, because it was the Word of God. It was written in a little bit higher higher form. But what's interesting about John Milton, as you read, I'm going to read some to you, uh, it, it makes sense because it sounds so good and it's so powerful. Here's what he said. He said, the, inf the infernal serpent, he it was whose guile stirred up with envy and revenge, deceived the mother of mankind. What time his pride had cast him out from heaven with all his host of rebel angels, by whose aid, aspiring to set himself in glory above his peers, he trusted to have equaled the Most High, if he opposed, and with ambitious aim against the throne and monarchy of God, raised impious war in heaven and battle proud with vain attempt. Him, the Almighty Power, hurled headlong flaming from the ethereal sky, with hideous ruin and combustion down to bottomless perdition, there to dwell in adamantine chains and penal fire who durst defy the omnipotent to arms. Now, I, that's amazing poetry, <laughs> amazing turn of phrase, but it's not biblical. And, uh, and by the way, you can appreciate a lot of things as long as you remember that's not the eternal word of God. He said here that, that, that Satan was lifted up with pride, that is true. And as a result, he went to war with God, and God then cast him down to hell because, and, and put him in chains. The problem is, it just does not fit with Scripture. 
Did you know that Revelation 12, uh, where it talks about that great war in heaven and how the, 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 the tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven? We'll see that uh, in just a moment, talk about it more. Did you know that that's the, that's the only time that, uh, re- that that is the only reference, angels being cast out of heaven, um, that time frame, Revelation 12 time frame, is the only place that it's mentioned in Scripture. Not the only place that that particular instance is mentioned, but, but there's no instance, no Scripture, no reference of angels in the past and Satan being cast down out of heaven and not allowed to return. It, and and uh, hang on, you know, buckle your seatbelts here because, again, some of the best things that can ever happen to us is when we, we, we start questioning, wait, 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 what? That's what I did as I'm studying it. Because you're taught a lot of things if you grew up in church. You're taught a lot of things that are just, as the song said, ain't necessarily so. Lucifer, here's, here's what he said. Lucifer rebelled against God originally. Uh, in the original creation, God drove him out of heaven. A third of the angels of heaven chose to follow Lucifer, and they became the angels of Satan, the fallen angels. How many have heard that? I know you're afraid to raise your hand now. Revelation chapter 12 is not talking about the past. It's talking about the future. Now, we have, we have Jesus Christ born. That was in the past. But there's no place where a third of the angels fell at the birth of Jesus Christ. And so we have to look at it from in its proper context. He's talking about the future. Let's identify some of the combatants here. The combatants. Verse 7. It says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels. So we have here, first of all, Michael. Michael, he's the fourth key personage or personality in Revelation 12 to 14. You have the woman, you have the child, you have the dragon, and now Michael. Michael appears five times in the Bible. Let's take our Bibles to the book of Daniel, and let's look at the first mention of Michael. Book of Daniel, chapter 10. And uh, I've learned a lot from uh, from Brother George Antonios. He was here recently. And uh, he has helped me quite a bit. And uh, one of the things I love about him, he loves to network and find who he was just recently talking with Brother Mark Norman. I said, you know, Brother Mark Norman's done a lot of work on the timeline of, of Revelation. And he said, oh, really? What's his, what's his number? Let me contact him. And he jumped in and he's been working with him. And he has this real desire to work together uh, as brothers in the Lord, try to help understand more of the scripture. And so he's been a big blessing to me. Daniel chapter 10 is where we are. The context of Daniel 10 here is that Daniel has been praying for three solid weeks and he's been waiting for God to answer his prayer. You ever felt that before? Praying, 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 and no answer whatsoever. But verse 12, Daniel 10, 12, here comes the angel. Then said he unto me, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten uh, thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. So here we have the angel who's come to bring him the message. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, here's the first mention, 
one of the chief princes came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. One of the chief princes. So the first time we see him, he's battling in the heavenlies. We understand Satan, the God of this world. We, 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 from this passage, we extrapolate, we deduce, we surmise, we think that this is what has happened. That Satan is the God of this world and he has set chief princes over every nation in the world. And uh, just like in this passage, like he did with Persia and with, and with Greece, uh, and these chief princes or these, these devils, chief devils, are supervising the affairs of the nations on Satan's behalf. In other words, you got one angel that's coming, but that angel's not powerful enough to get through. And so Michael says, I'll help you out. He's one of the chief princes. And so he was able to come through and, uh, and deliver the message. So here we have Daniel in chapter 10, verse 13. He is battling in the heavenlies. Then we go to chapter 10, verse 21. Here's the second mention. 1021, but I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth and that there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince, Michael, your prince. He is the uh, second mention here is a specific spiritual being that God has assigned to stand up and fight for Daniel's people, Israel. Now go to chapter 12. Here's the third mention. Daniel chapter 12, you'll notice verse number one. And at that time, Shall Michael? Now, we're, we're not going into all the ins and outs of Daniel at this point, but uh, we're just going through the mentions of this man, of this angel. And at that time, shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people? And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Now, now Christ actually... Uh, references this in Matthew 24. If you remember, he said, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world. Matthew 24, 21. So Michael here defends Israel and, uh, and God's interest in Israel against the attacks of Satan's principalities and powers and rulers. So he has a, a very particular job, and that is to protect the nation of Israel. He is defending them against the attacks of Satan. So we're talking here, and this time here in Daniel chapter 12 is the time that we're talking about in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, where there is a war in heaven and Michael and his angels are fighting against Satan and his angels. That's the cross-reference, Daniel chapter 12, Daniel chapter 8, we'll go there in a moment, and Revelation chapter 12. Now, he is prophesying here, that there's going to be a great war in heaven, which we see in chapter 12, as I mentioned. Now, let's go to Jude, verse 9, right before Revelation. Right before Revelation, go to Jude, verse 9. And you have to keep an eye on these because he he's not overtly talking uh, about something that seems to fit in this context. It seems like he's, he's talking about, uh, you know, false prophets and filthy dreamers and all of that. But, but as you're reading carefully, you see he's talking about angels in verse number six. And then verse number nine, yet Michael the archangel, the archangel, that arch means chief or first, 
Uh, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. A couple things to mention here. The archangel, uh, another thing to, to remember, uh, the archangel is only used of this angel, Michael. Uh, sometimes you, you, maybe you've heard that Gabriel is an archangel or whatever, but uh, there's no mention of, of anyone being the archangel or an archangel other than Michael. And so he's the only archangel that we know of in Scripture. Now, if God has other ones, he just hasn't chosen to tell us about them. And so we kind of keep ourselves on a short leash there. But, but notice here that he is, just as, you ever watch somebody on television bind Satan? That's a really stupid thing to try to do. If someone is talking about binding Satan, they're probably friends with Satan, and Satan says, it's okay, go ahead and say that. Because Michael the archangel would not bind, did not say, uh, I bind you in the name of, he, he said, I'm not, I'm not going to say, the Lord rebuke thee. So if you, think, if you think about the hierarchy here in Scripture, and this is not a you know, study on angels, but there's only three angels or spirit beings named in all the Bible. What do you got? You've got Lucifer. He is the covering cherub. He's the most powerful spirit being that there is. The most powerful of all the created spirit, all the created beings, spirit or otherwise. Lucifer. Number two, you have Michael. And he's called the archangel. Now we can invent all kinds of hierarchies and maybe there is. I mean, we understand there's possibly nine uh, order of angels but as far as God telling us who was powerful, Michael is the archangel. And he is the commanding general of the angels. And then you have number three. You have Gabriel. He is the announcing angel. Whenever you see Gabriel on earth, he is, he's not doing battle like Michael. He's not, most of the time, he's announcing something. He's announcing something. And the Bible says that he, he stands in the presence of God. That's what, that's what the angel said in Luke chapter 1, verse 19. I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and I'm sent to speak unto thee. So in, in Jude 9, what you're seeing here is uh, Moses, uh, his body is under dispute. And why? Well, we could surmise here as he's talking about, uh, about Lucifer, what does Lucifer want to do with the body of Moses? Well, maybe Lucifer knows, uh, Satan knows that Moses is going to be involved heavily in the Great Tribulation. And he is uh, wanting to keep that from happening. And you say, does he really want to do that? Absolutely. He's been fighting against God's plan and anything that he knows about God's plan. He's been fighting it since the very beginning. And, you know, you might think, well, why would he? Let me ask you a question. Do you know anybody that just seems to be stuck spiritually, and no matter what you've said to them, they're stuck? Do they not know the truth? Yeah, they probably do. You know, the truth doesn't apply to them, though. They're stuck. You know what Satan is? He's stuck. He's stuck on himself. He's stuck on his bitterness. He's stuck on his pride. You realize that, that he, got, he got hammered pretty good by God. He was the anointed cherub, and God knocked him down. Now, he still has access to heaven, but he's not part of the worship team anymore. He, he's, not, he's not welcome to join at church. 
He got kicked out. You know what he does? He comes and he protests. He shows up and he accuses and he yells. Why does he care? You don't, you don't understand how much he lost. He understands it. You know what he will never do? He will never humble himself. If you're stuck, let me encourage you. Humility is the only way out. It's the only way out. You say, no, no, I'll tell you what's right. Well, I'll tell you what needs to happen. I'll tell you, that, that person right there needs to get their comeuppance. By the way, even if you could make that happen, uh, what are you going to do with your attitude? You think it's going to fix it? It's not going to fix it. You got to watch. You got to watch it. We, what's the best thing to do? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now, I'm not saying that the Lord would have restored Lucifer, but I'm, <laughs> it doesn't matter how much he knows who God is, no matter how much he sees himself lose over and over and over and over, stymied at every single turn, he still has that bitterness stuck in there and he is going to hang on to it. So it's something to keep in mind. When you feel this thing of nothing can be done and I just am going to wither on the vine and die, you're, you're kind of living Satan's life a little bit. Just keep that in mind. And you can do that for the rest of you. I'm thankful that, that you can go to heaven at the end of all that. But man, what a miserable trip through earth. So Moses here is, is, is uh, you know, in the tribulation. He's been pro- proclaiming the word of God with power. And so maybe Satan wants to just kind of stop him there. Now let's talk about the, the second personage here. Or, or, or I'm sorry, the, the second combatant. You have the dragon. The dragon. So he is the second personality in Revelation 12 to 14. And we have a composite of him that's given to us here in scripture through the six titles that we find in chapter 12. Six titles. Now, there's some interesting stuff here. Uh, Amazing. that It it comes from reading the Bible and going back and forth. But let me give you an example here. Uh, I'll give you an example in a moment. First one is called the great dragon. The great dragon. See that in chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Chapter 12, verse 9, the great dragon was cast out. Dragons mentioned 12 times in Revelation, and in the New Testament, only in Revelation. Eight of those times, it's right here in chapter 12. The unveiling of Satan, who he is in the spirit realm. This is what he is. He's a dragon. It talks of that speaking of his power, his power. He is cruel. He is slithering. He is bloodthirsty. He is an intimidating beast. He's a nasty looking beast. That's what he is. He wasn't, he wasn't always a nasty beast. You know what, what Jesus said? The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. There is no resonance between Jesus Christ and Satan. No, they were not born as brothers. No. He is the antithesis of Jesus Christ. Christ is the prince of peace, and he's the prince of darkness. Christ is, is lowly and meek. Satan is proud. Christ is, is the beauty of the glory of God, and Satan is the vacuum of any glory. The darkness. And so when you see him, you would say, this is absolutely terrifying. He's a powerful beast. You don't want to play around with Satan. 
By the way, that's why he doesn't listen to anybody like me saying, why does Satan not give up? Because he is so much more powerful than I am. He's not even listening to what I'm saying. I'm not even on his radar. He's not, he's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. The second one is that old serpent in 12 verse 9. That old serpent. Serpent refers to his, uh, his subtlety. Subtlety. You know, it's interesting. We know in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Remember that? Subtle. In other words, you don't know that he has nefarious plans. You don't realize that he's out to get you. He's just talking to you. You ever have somebody lie to you and you find out, oh, 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 you're trying to take advantage of me. I get it. But it took a little while to figure it out. Well, I'm telling you, Satan could sell, could sell ice to an Eskimo. They don't, they don't, you don't realize who he really is. Now, I will say, I'll give you an example of that. Satan does not appear for 356 chapters after Genesis 3. The word Satan doesn't show up until 1 Chronicles 21. So how, how, do, how do you know that the serpent was Satan? That's why it pays to read your Bible. It doesn't tell you that it's Satan. Serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Have you communicated with Satan or one of his emissaries? You say, well, I, I think that they're, you know, it's a good person. Maybe so. Let me just say, that if, if there's somebody in your life that you think cares about the things of God, you think cares about the word of God, the truth of the words of God, and, and this person in your life, and I don't know who I'm talking to, so I'm not talking to anybody intentionally, but just take it with a grain of salt, okay? If, if there's somebody in your life that, that loves the word of God, whether you like them or not, they love the word of God and they know you. And they're talking to you about somebody in your life that shouldn't be there. You need to listen. It's God giving you a freebie. He's taking care of you. Why? Because that person could be one of the most subtle people you've ever met. How many, how many have ever been surprised when you found somebody that was sneakier than you? You ever been surprised with that? My, my wife, my wife is a person of very little guile, very little. But there are times when I wonder, I say, I didn't know you had it in you. She is, she is uh, innocent and sweet, but there are times I found out, wow. You know why? We all have it in us. And you know what we all think? We all think we're pulling the wool over everybody else's eyes. Right? We all think that we're smarter than other people. Or we think we're dumber than other people, which is our shtick. We're dumber than everybody else. That's how we get away with stuff. Isn't it crazy? You know who is more subtle than any of us? Satan. And he has trained his people very well. We need to be careful. If there's somebody in your life, your parents, I don't know if we got anybody that's you know, dating in this room. Or, if your parents are, are, are saying, hey, be careful. If your parents love the word of God, trust them over your feelings. It, it, by the way, if your spouse says, I don't trust that woman or that man, listen to your spouse. 
Even if it's the greatest person you've ever met in your life. I bet, I'll bet Satan was the most interesting man in the world. He probably worked for Dos Equis. He was probably the most interesting being that, that Eve had ever talked to. Wow. What a guy. He was Satan. Satan, is re- serpent, is referring to his subtlety, his cunning, his evil. And he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We find in 2 Corinthians 11.3 that the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. Beguiled. She didn't have any guile in her. He put it into her. Who was it that first taught you a bad word? Who was it that first taught you that you could lie to your parents? Who was it that first taught you that you could steal something and no one would know? You know, a lot of us, we didn't have a lot of trouble coming up with, with how, to, how to sin. But we could also go back and look at people that taught us things that we never would have known. And it, it, how is it? It's just... I guess it's the grapevine. You ever wonder why this phrase, sometimes they have really weird thoughts, so you know this. The phrase, na-na-na-na-boo-boo. How do all kids know that? Like, what, who, they, they pass it like germs from one kid to the other. Like, there's no class on, here's what all kids say. Sticks and stones may break my bones. But they just somehow learn it. You know, sin is that way. We just pass it from one person to another. We have no idea how disgusting we are as humans. Satan. Satan's the one that started all that. The next one is the devil, called the devil. Now, if you go back in the Old Testament, you will not find a place, a single place where Satan is called the devil. The first time in the Bible that he's actually called the devil is in Matthew chapter 4. And it's capital D. It says where Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. In the Old Testament, what you find is devils, devils. And it's always referring to false gods. It's referring to idols. And so that's what the devil is referring to, a false god. What's the first first temptation of Jesus by Satan? He said, If uh, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. He's seeking worship. The devil seeks worship. The father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. And that's, by the way, why Satan is seeking worship. He had the worship of God that was flowing through him and, and reflecting off of him to God himself from all the created beings of the universe and he lost it. Now he just wants that worship for himself. Guys, those of us that are wanting to be in, in any kind of spiritual leadership, we have to be careful because <laughs> I think that's why the Lord makes me <laughs> so weird and eccentric to help me remind people that I'm really not that great. Because it's easy when you're in a position of spiritual influence to start feeling like uh, maybe I'm not so different from God or maybe like I'm like his special pet. And that's why people get involved in adultery while they're pastors. Scary stuff. Scary stuff. 
And, and it can happen to all of us. To each of us, it can happen. We, and how? We, we, we start craving that worship. Craving the worship. Next is Satan, the adversary. You know, Ezekiel 28, we mentioned this a moment ago, Ezekiel 28, he, he was uh, leading the rest of the spirit beings in creation uh, to worship and glorify God. He was chosen specifically as Lucifer to reflect the light of God's glory through the universe. But then in pride, he lifted, him up, he lifted himself up and he made himself God's adversary by seeking the place of God. And so from that time, he's no longer referred in the Bible, to, uh, in the Bible as uh, Lucifer, even though he still transforms himself into an angel of what? Angel of light. He has to transform himself. He's a shapeshifter. And he has to do that because it is no longer his natural form. Then we have next the deceiver, which deceiveth the whole world. He's the master counterfeiter. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He is blinding the minds of people. He said, I will be like the Most High. He is the master counterfeiter. He is subtle. And then lastly is the accuser of our brethren. You see that? Look at chapter 12, verse 10. It says, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Accuser. Look at 1 John, since you're there in Revelation. Look, go back to 1 John chapter 2. He's accusing. And you know what's interesting? He doesn't have to make stuff up. He made stuff up about Job. He, Job was a perfect man, one that eschewed evil, feared God. And, and, and Satan had to say about Job, yeah, of course he serves you because you bought him off. You blessed him. You know what he's accusing Job of? He's saying, you love God for the blessings, not because he's the blesser. Now, at the end of that, whatever purified, purification happened in Job's soul... Job never really turned his back on God and said, I'm done. And God never said that he did. You know what happened? Job realized that even though he was a perfect man, that's what God said about him, there was still purification that needed to happen. And it wasn't true that Job was serving God just for the blessings. After all, everything befell him, uh, he worshiped the Lord. And he said, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was not going to back down just because everything went haywire. And I, and I will tell you this. You ever have a, a week or a day where things just went horribly and terribly? And you're like, you know what? I'm just going to serve God and I'm going to have a good attitude and I'm going to do what's right. Thank God. You can have that. Guess what's coming tomorrow? Probably worse. Now, I'm not trying to be, I'm, I'm, it's not very encouraging but neither is studying the book of Revelation or the book of Job. At the end of everything, we serve God because of who he is, not because of who we feel like we are. Because we feel like we're something and then we're not feeling that way. And then we're like, I don't know, maybe I, I don't know for sure. 
And then you're like, thank the Lord. This is the best day ever. My worst day ever. But God's good. But I'm not really sure. Isn't that who we are? And you know, aren't you glad that your salvation is not determined on your feelings? We'd be in big trouble. Our salvation is based on an unchangeable God. He is not going to change. He said, I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are are not consumed. You know why you're still saved? Because God is faithful. The idea that, you know, we need to hang on and prove that we are the children of God. Calvinists say that. We need to persevere. We need to show that we are the disciples of Christ and that we really are. You know, that's good. That's good. And maybe you can look at me. But you know what? I live inside of this body. And I know who I am. And I know I ain't persevering to be able to prove my salvation. Why? Hey, even if I keep getting up and going, why do I keep having the problems internally? You know why? Because I got an old nature. Got an old nature that doesn't care about God, doesn't give a rip. You know, you, by the way, you don't know what, what signal, <laughs> what line the devil's tapping into. He's not tapping into the new nature. He's tapping into the old nature like Tokyo Rose. And he's, he's broadcasting to you on a regular basis saying, you know, sometimes things just don't seem right. Where is God in all this? He's used, and sometimes he'll even try to pretend like he's the voice of God. He'll lie to you and he'll say things. To, and you're thinking, I don't know, maybe that's a good. When you talk to other undiscerning believers who are immature, and are not in their Bibles, but sound really smart. You know what will, what will happen? He will use those people to make you think that this is a word from God. And you might go on that for years, thinking that, well, it's a godly spiritual person. Be careful with that. Why? Let God be true and every man a liar. It is possible for a person who loves God to be deceived by something that they, that they don't even recognize they're deceived by. by the, isn't that the best deception? To go along and thinking, I know, I, I, I talked to her and she's just a godly woman. She ain't the Bible. Now listen, I, I, I'm t- I've had so many, studying Revelation, I've had so many sacred cows in my mind overturned and shot in the head. You know why? Because we all come up with our best ideas and our, and, and our thoughts. But listen, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. I came not with excellency of speech, declaring to you the gospel of God. He said, I, I, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. We got to purify that thing down in our hearts. Let the Lord be true and let everybody else just be sus, as the kids say. A little bit sus. Okay? And you know who the number one sus spec should be? You. Look in the mirror and say, you're a little sus. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) I'm looking at Dave. You're a little sus, Dave. Okay. All right. Let's go. Let's go back to the, let's see if we can get back to the word. Amen. Amen. So here we are, 1 John 2. We've been accused of all kinds of stuff. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. Period. Did you see the period there? Period. And what's the next word? 
You know, if I were writing the Bible, forgive me, Lord, I would have said, but. Does the Lord know us or does he know us? He said, I write unto you. Here's what, here's what I want you to know, that you sin not. Stop it. Period. Stop sinning. You know, I can't. He said, I'm telling you to. Stop sinning. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. See, there's the accuser of the brethren, but there's an advocate for the brethren. And the advocate, who is that? That's the attorney for the defense. He steps in and he says that, you know what? He's, he's telling the truth. How many think that the, most of the time the devil doesn't have to lie about you and I? <laughs> Just tells the truth. He, he's the accuser of what? Of what we did. Of what we said. Of the attitude that we had. He's accusing us of what we actually did. And what, is the, what does Jesus Christ say? He said, that's true, but I want to remind you of one thing. And he is the propitiation for our sins. I am the propitiation. You want, hey, Satan, you want to accuse somebody? Accuse me. He's telling Satan, step up. I'm calling you out, Lucifer. I'm calling you out right now. You come and accuse me. I paid for those sins by my blood on the cross. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of who? The whole world. The, the, the devil is the deceiver. He deceiveth the whole world. And guess what? If you hang out with, this, with Satan and you don't run to Christ, you will be deceived. Your eyes will be blind. Your mind will be blinded. But if you run to Christ, he can cover your sins and everybody on your street too. Every single person you've ever met, he's the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Let me ask you this. Does that make you want to go out and just sin it up? No. When I see somebody, I, I see Jesus Christ stepping up and saying to Satan, listen, I paid for those sins. There's a part of me that wants to say, Lord, the devil's right. The devil's right. I don't know if you ever felt that way. But you ever did something, done something so bad that you didn't, didn't really want to be forgiven for it? But you know... Jesus Christ has taken over my complete salvation from start to finish. And he won't let me have anything to do with it. He says, <laughs> your works didn't get you anywhere, buddy. You sit back there. I got this. And he, he carries us from conception all the way till we get to heaven and beyond. The Lord has taken care of us. Thank you, Lord, for the price that you paid. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. You know what God is looking for us to do? Perfect ourselves. Not because, not to be saved, but because we are saved. Hey, what else am I supposed to do for you? Get busy. Be a better Christian. Be, be a little holier. Not to get saved, but because I've already done everything for you. Come on, get with the program. That's what he's saying. Now, let's go back to uh, Revelation 12. Revelation 12, verse 7. Let's, let's look at this again. This is, uh, I'm going to throw this idea at you and let you, let you chew on it. I got this from, uh, from Brother George. And man, it's good. Verse 7. 
it's uh, up to this up to this point, verses one to six. We we we've come up to the mid trib point where when Michael is defeating Satan, it says verse seven. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Aren't you glad for that phrase? Neither was their place found any more in heaven. What do they have a place for? What are they doing up there? And the great dragon was cast out, just like Tobiah and Sanballat, cast out of the temple. The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Do you see that? Over and over again. Cast out, cast out, cast out. You know what Jesus said in Luke ten eighteen? I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Okay. The problem with that, Christ is talking about the future. It's a prophecy. He says, and how do I know that? Well, John 12, 31, Jesus said, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. He is looking into the future where the tribulation context matches his present time or verse chapter 12 verse 7 satan falls to the earth in revelation chapter 12 now we understand we understand when he's saying he was cast out we're not saying that satan was never allowed on the earth before then of course matthew chapter 4 satan is tempting jesus christ in the wilderness he's on the earth he has access to heaven and to earth up to this day there's coming a day, Revelation chapter 12 tells us, that he is no longer going to have access to heaven whatsoever. And heaven's going to throw a party. They're going to be happy. Earth is going to go into mourning. But look, but look he's still in the air. What's he called in, in Ephesians chapter 2? The prince of the power of the air. He's still in the air. But he said, I, felt, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Right? So he, lightning falls from the earth uh, from the air to the earth. But look with this. Look what happens. In, in retaliation for being cast down to earth, the dragon responds in verse 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and took them with him to the earth. That's how we typically read it. That... that when, when Satan was kicked out, he took some angels that wanted to rebel. <clears throat> how many have ever been told that angels don't have a free will? Well, I mean, I'm not sure how the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. It's another one of those things that you just kind of taught, right? Um, but notice here, it says, what did he do? He took them, he drew them, drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And that, re that responds uh, or references uh, verse 9. He was cast out, he was cast out, he was cast out. Angels are cast out. So, so here's the thought. Not only is this future, the one-third of the angels are Michael's angels, not Satan angels. They're, they're not his foes, or rather, they're not his allies. They are his foes. Do you see? Take your Bible, go to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. And again, hopefully you put this on the anvil and kind of beat it with hammers. The anvil of God's word, just, just kind of beat it and see what you think. Look at Daniel chapter 8 and verse number 9. And we won't go into this, but here we have 
the little horn, the Antichrist, Satan incarnate. Verse 9, out of, out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land, towards Israel. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. So here we have some stars, the host of heaven, being stamped. What happened? Well, Satan, in response to getting kicked out, he drew the third part of those angels. There was a war that happened in heaven. And uh, it, it, it looks to me like that there was, uh, these are casualties of that war in heaven. One third casualties of that war in heaven. And uh, lots of questions. It, it, it raises lots of questions, right? And, and those are good. We want to think through those things. But I want to show you in Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, you have before Jesus Christ was ever born, Right, his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, but and that's before. But then also, you notice the war in heaven. Uh, the, the woman's flight into the wilderness is also mentioned before it happens, and you see the the, the dragon's tail. Which, by the way, uh, the, it's the false prophet Isaiah chapter nine verse fifteen. The prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail. The false prophet. Uh, he appears in the second half after the beast. All right? So in other words, he's talking about things in the beginning of Revelation 12 that are not going to happen until later. You follow what I'm saying? And so that fits, that would fit as well, drawing the third part of the stars of heaven and that there's actual damage that's being done. And there's other things we could go into, what happens with those angels, not that they completely disappear, but they're taken captive. Uh, maybe not exactly casualties in the sense of dying, but, but, but held in chains and in bondage as prisoners of war. And the Bible talks about that as well. And, and, and you can find in Daniel about him stamping on those prisoners. Interesting things to think about, no doubt about it. Um, one other verse where it talks there when uh, they defeated Sisera, and you have the song of Deborah, and it says, They fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. Just one other reference, Judges 5.20, you can take a look at. Now, let's close out tonight. We've got to get done. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. In Revelation 12, we see the end of this particular verse. But we're going to rewind the tape from Revelation 12 back to our current day, verse 12, 612. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You and I right now, the spiritual warfare is taking place, not in the heaven, but it's taking place right now in our minds. That's where the spiritual warfare is taking place. And so he tells us what to do. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. You know what the, the, what the Lord uh, wants? He wants you to hold forth the word of life, to quote the Bible. He wants you to know the Bible 
and he wants you to quote the Bible. So what do we think? Well, we think the Bible's good and all, but I need to figure out a really cool way and some metaphors and some bridges and all that. And, and there's a time and a place for all those things. But the Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Our weapon, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, it is the Bible. He wants us to use the Bible. He wants us to quote the Bible. And what's the number one thing that atheists and, and, and God-haters say about the Bible? You can't use the Bible to prove God because it's what? Circular reasoning. They, they, you know what they're doing? They're speaking a lie. Circular reasoning works if what you have is actually true. If it's the truth... You can speak the truth. It doesn't matter if you use the truth to speak the truth, to prove the truth. You know what the, what the devil wants to do? He wants to deceive you and take the Bible out of your hand. So you think you can't quote the Bible to unsaved people because what, what good? They don't even know the Bible. Right? That's a lie. The, the, the Bible says that we are born again of incorruptible seed by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. There is nothing that you know about God that didn't come from the Bible. Every, all the Sunday school lessons, you know where they're drawn from? A lot of it, not all of it, a lot of it, they were drawn from the Bible. How do I know that? Because how many things have I unlearned that I learned in Sunday school? Right? But, but the beauty of it is, you've got it right there in your hands. Everything your lost neighbor needs, everything your family needs is in the cover of, the, of this book right here. And, and how are you going to get it? You're going to humble yourself before God. You're going to read the Bible. You're going to study it. You're going to memorize it. You're going to speak it to yourself. You're going to speak it to your kids. You're going to speak it to your spouse. You're going to use it not just to cut people down, you understand, but to build them up. Moses himself, was he was under, his body was under uh, this discussion. Michael himself, rather. Disputing about the body of Moses, he realized the only way to deal with the power of Satan himself is to rely totally and completely on the power of God and his word. 100%. And God used those words to rebuke Satan, to completely make him powerless and to win the victory. And God's going to do the same in your life. He's going to do the same in your life. The devil wants to keep you from the Bible. So you know what you should do? You should just sit down and read it. And just read it. And I've read it before. You should read it again. Read it again. Well, I don't get anything out of it. Read it. Well, I am bored. Read it. You should be like a mom to yourself. My mom would do. Read it. Now, she didn't do that with the Bible. She did that with everything else. You should do that to yourself. Read the Bible. Why? This book is the power of God and the salvation. God's going to use it in your life in all different kinds of ways. I would just ask you, think of this one question. What is the lie that Satan has told you today? Anybody have a lie been told them? I did. I mean, most of the day. The devil lies to us. <gasps> Our pastor. You ever, you, just think about it. Do you, can you think of any reason why he would want to tell me a lie today, knowing what I was going to talk about today? Can you think of any reason why the devil would be telling you lies in your life? You see, if you're going against the stream, he's going to turn up the lie factory a little bit on you. 
If you're flowing with them and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. This is such a weird, weird time. You're probably floating with them. But if you try to do anything for God, he's going to tell you a lie. And the lie changes as you learn to deal with that lie from the Bible. So we've got to be sober. We've got to be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, is walking about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Use the Bible and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Aren't you thankful for that? All right, let's take our our prayer lists.